welcome to this episode of the Katie and Me podcast. I'm Katie Rogers, and I am here with my colleague, Chris Hutchinson. Hey, Katie. Hey, Chris. I'm so glad you're here today. We get to talk about one of my favorite things. What we do, we go through three topics per episode, and we teach each other stuff just like we would normally over coffee when we're supposed to be working. Right. We end up on some rabbit trail. Yeah. Two <laughs> wormholes in our day. Yeah. We reach out to you, our audience, and to professionals and people with passions and hobbies, and we find out what it is you would like people to know, the general public to know, that would make your world better. We're uh, really he- we're really here to like help the people. Right? We're, <laughs> That's it. We're here. We're to here help to help the, the people. people. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, episode four already. It's it's crazy uh, how fast these are going, and and the great responses that we've gotten so far from the listeners. So we appreciate that. Thanks, um, this episode of KDME Podcast is sponsored by the Colab Group, and you can find the Colab Group at www.thecolabgroup.net. And Colab is C O L A B G R O U P. The Colab Group is a niche consulting company focused on providing business growth, messaging, communication, and improvement consulting services for startup and small business organizations. Their services include business development and marketing, food and agricultural messaging and strategic communication, and social media and email campaign development and management. So if you are in need of any of those services, please reach out to the Colab Group. They'd be more than happy to help you. As we kind of kick off our first topic this week, Katie, I think you're going to talk to us a little bit about food labels. Is that correct? I am going to talk to you about food labels. And I know you're already an expert in this department, right? I'm really not. Oh, okay. I mean, I eat a lot, but I don't necessarily (laughs) read all the food labels. Okay. So so tell me, Chris, do you feel like you know what you're putting in your mouth? You know, you say that all the time. (laughs) You you always, like, you'll say it in passing sometimes. You're like, it's just amazing to me that people don't know what they're eating. And that's usually believe it or not when I actually go silent I do sometimes not actually speak um, and I'm, I think back I'm like God what did I eat today and then I start thinking about it I'm like I don't know what toxins or poisons I may have ingested so yeah I'm actually probably your prime listener for this so I'm excited to learn a little bit more about the importance of them okay well listen we're gonna we're gonna keep everything really kind of 10,000 foot cursory sure. and when I start getting into the minutiae then throw something at me okay so um, or interrupt <laughs> so in food labeling what we get is a standardized, usually, set of information. Mm -hmm. So we know what we're putting in our mouth. It is so weird to me that we are willing to pick something up without knowing that and Mm -hmm. just be like, oh, I'm going to put this in this orifice. (laughs) Like, There's nothing else I would do that with. But, you know, this thing that makes everything in our body function, if we do it right, eh, whatever. (laughs) It's got a wrapper on it. It must be be okay. Right. So, and maybe part of developing our knowledge on food labels will get us to a point where someday we aren't overfed and undernourished. Sure. That is my big thing. So Or oblivious, right? Uh, right, yeah, yeah. right. Well, you know, we can be undernourished and eat a whole lot. And yeah. so so there's just some really basic things. So I'm gonna gear this towards you and your wife and any normal human who just goes to a grocery store for their food. Okay. We'll save all the more granola headed hippie stuff for my personal time. For your support everyone. group. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> when you walk into a store and I run into this in my own family who is supposed to, you know, read me and know me Mm -hmm. and know better already. When you walk into a grocery store and you see, you look for something healthy, Mm -hmm. the first thing that might hit you from the labels, the thing you can see at a distance without really reading them, is something we call greenwashing. And that is creating a label 
you know, using yeah. our marketing to make something seem healthy. Oh, okay. To make us feel good about buying it. My favorite example of this is that the least expensive, most poorly produced meat in most grocery stores has a brown label with a green lettering and a little farm barn on it. Okay, yeah. It doesn't look anything like what a barn looks like now. Those right. animals never saw that. Yeah, building, exactly. Right? But it's a subtle way or not so subtle way to make us feel like that is natural. Mm -hmm. And the term natural on a label means nothing. Okay. It means nothing. You can say something is completely natural, um, like your energy drink. Yeah, I'm and I'm, I'm so you weren't going to see that. I'm kidding. <laughs> and, and, and there is no meaning for that word. We all put what we think into it. So ignore it. Okay. I'm not kidding. Ignore the term natural. It's useless. It's part of this idea of greenwashing. So there's no restrictions then on what people can put on food labels? Oh, there's a lot of restrictions. Okay. Good question. There's a lot of restrictions. But what you're looking for generally is a certification. Ah, gotcha. Okay. When it comes to labeling, look at the ingredients and understand that most of those are corn and soy in a processed food. Okay. And the list, I'm not kidding, the list of ingredients that are derived from corn or soy are enormously long. That's not a judgment call. It's just a fact. A okay. lot of those long words we tend to be frightened of. There's some byproduct of or direct product of corn and soy. Um, those are main commodity crops. But look at your ingredients and at a glance, look for a certification. And the certifications will tell you that some third party has said this food meets a criteria. Mm -hmm. So really, if you just get familiar with the most common certifications, you can know a whole lot by glancing at that label. Okay. And that's where I find there's a lot of value in that to me as someone who has to walk in and just grab something. The certification, say you're looking for something that is certified organic, okay? And we'll talk about what the National Organics Board, what the NOP it's called, means at some point. But today, just know you're going to see a stamp that says Certified Organic USDA. Okay. okay. So I was going to ask you, what are some of the key certifications that they right. should be looking for? Because I promise you, there's probably more people listening that are like me than like you that <laughs> don't have the background that you do. Um, right. So how can you help us? Like, what are some of those certifications and, and what are ones that you, that you look for specifically? Okay. So I'm not going to do a lot of good and batting, okay. but just to help you understand what you're seeing a little bit, the certified organic means that, that they have met a USDA standard that is supposed to work more with natural processes. Okay. There's that word natural, right? right. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it yeah. means Jack. So um, <laughs> they work more to regenerate soil, okay. to prevent synthetic runoff that does things like cause algae blooms in the Gulf mm -hmm. and, and make it so we can't eat the fish out of the local river here, right? right? Mm -hmm. So there's an attempt there at ecological conservation and a reduction in inputs that are largely a result of of oil okay okay so there's a lot of petroleum based mm -hmm. inputs there fascinating history behind all of it so a third party actually comes in and certifies you and that third party has been approved by the usda and that's how you get that label that's probably the most common one that you're going to see touted okay. in an american grocery store but there are others there are some that certify the organism hasn't been had transgenic changes made mm -hmm. to it. So cross species changes, um, that would be, it's usually a butterfly symbol. It says non-GMO. I'm not making a judgment call on that either. But what I want you to know is that that brown or green label means nothing. That word natural means nothing. Okay. So 
that's where I'm going to leave it today. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that could be an entirely full episode. <laughs> We're going to talk there's a lot about to unpack all of there it for more sure. in the future, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and to our listeners, if they are interested or have thoughts on that, they can reach out to us on social media, either at Twitter, which is at Katie and me pod. And that is K-A-T-Y-A-N-D-M-E-P-O-D. Or if you're following us on Instagram, it's at Katie and me podcast. Uh, Katie spelled the same way. Or you can email us at Chris and Katie and me dot com or Katie at Katie and me dot com. That's really interesting stuff, Katie. I think there's probably even more there that, that we could talk about. Um, and maybe we'll we'll do a follow up episode on that. So we'll transition a little bit from what we're putting in our mouths to uh, what I'm going to talk about today and how you're or what you're putting, I guess, in your head. Uh, I'm going to talk about therapy and and being in therapy it's a it's a topic that that i have a passion for i did get my undergraduate degree in psychology and then i also got a master's degree in essentially sports psychology so i do have an appreciation for the psychological side of human beings um, and i use it in my coaching as well I'm probably, I think it's getting a lot better. I think the environment and the transparency about mental health is gaining support. Mm -hmm. But when I was younger, I actually started seeing a therapist probably around 15 or 16 maybe mm -hmm. was the first time that I started seeing one. And then off and on throughout my high school and, and college years. And then really revisited again in my 30s where I was going pretty regularly. When I first started going, I almost felt like it was a secret in my family. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't something that you brought up uh, right. to the relatives or, you know, bragged about. And, I, you know, I'm a male, so I, I don't know if it would have been different if I was female. But I definitely got the impression that it was almost a sign of weakness, even, you know, even as a, as a high school male that maybe uh, mm -hmm. I just wasn't mentally tough enough or, or things along those lines. So, um, yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm, I'm fairly vocal about it now. And anybody that I talk to, it's uh, anybody that I care about, I, I highly recommend that they that they see a therapist, mm -hmm. whether they're single or in a relationship, because human beings are complex and everybody's different and how people handle stress and how they handle anxiety is different. I started seeing a therapist after I got married to my wonderful wife, Leela, um, who's been very patient with me through the years. Over 16 years we've been married. And I started going by myself because I had stuff that I needed to figure out that I didn't realize were issues until I was married to somebody, you know? So things that are ways that maybe I had been dealing with things that I learned, geez, that's probably not the healthiest way to, mm -hmm. um, to try and deal with your stress or your anxiety or gosh, why am I once a week having to pull the car over to the side of the road because I'm physically unable to function mm -hmm. and, and you know, having some type of panic attack? Where, where's that coming from? So it took a while for me to do some individual therapy and get mm -hmm. me figured out with some stuff that I've been harboring for a long time and then get to a point where my wife joined me and then we started doing couples therapy. And that's really where I think significant changes, you know, helped in our relationship. And then, gosh, by the time we had our daughter, there was a whole a whole nother layer of, <laughs> uh, of things to explore yeah, there. Yeah, becoming a parent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because once you become a parent, then you kind of remember things that how you were raised come into play. And so mm -hmm. there was just, you know, it was like a whole new cornucopia of stuff. To, you are not to, alone. Uh, to uncover, right? <laughs> 
So, um, you know, I, I like sharing with people that I am in fact in therapy. I'm on an anti-anxiety medicine. I still struggle from time to time. Um, I still make a ton of mistakes, but I'm a lot better because of my ability to be honest, transparent and communicate with my wife and daughter and friends and family. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this in a previous episode. There's still times that I may communicate with my wife via text. Um, <laughs> this morning was an example where we didn't see eye to eye on something last night. And instead of it blowing up, we started the morning by texting. This is how I'm feeling right now. Okay. I'm sorry you're feeling that way. And again, people laugh at us sometimes, but to us, that's how it works. It right. like, it prevents us from having a massive blow up and putting egos in front of each other and trying to out talk the other person. And then we were able to evolve into a conversation mm -hmm. after we kind of digested each other's content. So I don't like telling people what to do. Um, well, that's not terrible. But go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I would say if you've never seen a therapist, I, I challenge you, reach out to someone that you know that is is willing to talk about being in therapy and ask them what their experience has been. Mm -hmm. Heck, if you want, you can email me and I'll talk to you about it. And that's chris at kdme.com. Mm -hmm. uh, or if you've been to therapy, um, share your experiences with other people. Let people know that there is a shift in support for mental health. Mm -hmm. um, the city I live in, Fishers, Indiana, every year they have a month-long initiative where artists are retained. And the, the main project is demonstrating what mental health looks like. And it's always on the mayor's agenda of items that he constantly talks about. And there's awareness about it in, in our schools and things along those lines. And it's, you know, it's becoming more and more accepted in, in the community. You know, not every community is like that, but hopefully by people being honest and transparent about their struggles, because let's be, I mean, let's be clear. Everybody has them, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody has got this thing, adulthood or life figured out. No, I told um, you, adulthood's, adulthood's not real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I, I, we were just joking that adulthood is like a glitch in the matrix that nobody's been able to figure out yet. And, and I just think the only way that people are going to be able to get better is if they know that we're all kind of in it together. Mm -hmm. So having those conversations and sharing and, and being a, a resource for people that are maybe struggling, uh, you'd be amazed at uh, how much better you can feel. And me being completely transparent, my wife and I are overdue for a for a therapy session. We haven't had one in a couple months and we both have a laundry list of things <laughs> that we need to discuss. So I'll be the first one to say my action item this week is uh, to get an appointment scheduled. So get out there and don't be afraid of therapy. It shouldn't be worn like a scarlet letter. You know, mm -hmm. it should be more of a badge of pride in my honest opinion. So I guess I, you know, I challenge our listeners to, to get out there and either talk to a therapist or talk to someone that's been and uh, share your experiences with others and make it uh, less burdensome and less taboo. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that message. It was a little later in life for me before I ventured into therapy at all. But it's really remarkable. It, I really like it when people are self-aware. Yeah. And therapy helps you get there. It's a scale, but therapy really gives you a perspective on yourself. It's hard to have when you're that close to the subject matter. Right. And it makes you really empathetic too. Or yeah, it builds huge. empathy. It builds it those build empathetic empathy. skills, which, yeah. you know, we're, we're trying to teach our 12-year-old daughter empathy. Yeah. And my God, if the world of junior high, you need a lot of, <laughs> you know, if we could have help every junior high kid uh, develop empathy skills, I, I think this planet would be a much better place. So, yeah. And, and you know, so, so model that behavior so that kids can see it as well. Because like I said, you know, nobody's perfect. And sometimes I feel like my daughter only sees the mistakes I make. I'm very honest about what I do and what I talk about in therapy so that she knows that 
I share with our therapist all the mistakes I make with you, Mia, and you know, I'm <laughs> and and find ways to to try and limit them or better ways to apologize when I do make them. So, mm -hmm. and I said her name because she asked me to say it on an episode. Aww. So, uh, hey, got, Mia. Th got that in there, but um, <laughs> probably up against time here on this topic. But that is. Uh, those are my words of wisdom as it relates to therapy. That's awesome. We will transition into our last topic. But again, before we do that, this last segment is sponsored by the CoLab Group. CoLab Group is a niche consulting company focused on providing business growth, messaging, communication, and improvement consulting services for startups and small businesses. We thank them for their support. So our last topic today, Katie, is, and it's, I think it's a nice segue from talking about therapists, is what do medical doctors wish that we the people knew about their jobs. We talked about nurses in a recent episode. And so I think we wanted to give credence to doctors mm -hmm. as well. And one doctor that I spoke with, I thought he gave me really good insight. Most doctors are pretty bright and have good grasp of the language. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but his comments were, it's a very stressful job, especially for younger doctors. Most of us are in massive debt. Most of us are employed by large healthcare organizations with pressure to see more patients and patient access. We have to keep those patients happy with patient satisfaction scores, and we never, ever are able to make a mistake. This is all while dealing with increasing burdens of charting and cumbersome electronic health records, maddening fights with insurance companies to pay for the tests and meds that our patients need. What sustains us generally is the sacred bond with our patients. Best time of the day by far for me is when I'm in the exam room with the door closed, one-on-one -on -one with patients. That part of the job is still fun for me. However, much of the rest isn't. I, I mean, I thought that was really That, that was really telling. covered a lot yeah. of what we heard too. Yeah. I mean, that was, that really, they touched on a lot of points that other physicians shared with us. And, um, and the funny part about that is to, to see it from that side where that's the part that they probably like the best. Mm -hmm. And as a patient, that's part of the time when I'm probably the most annoyed. I'm like waiting for them. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and so when you, when you get let back to the room, you're like, cool. It'll be any minute now. And then, you know, if you wait 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, you're getting annoyed. So, and then I'm like, with this doctor saying that, it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, well, gosh, they're probably annoyed too because, you know, they're having to do 8 million things and they're having mm -hmm. to see all these patients. And they're trying to make everybody happy. And they only get a happy. few minutes with each patient right. in a lot of cases. Yeah, it's like a, which it's, is it's not like enough. an assembly line of like how they see these patients. It really so, is. It uh, really anyway, is. I thought that was an interesting comment. Did yeah. you have anyone reach out to I you? I did. I had, I had several people. In fact, I had a woman who wrote an article on Kevin MD's website. And if you want to know what's happening in the medical world. Kevin MD's website has been a great resource for me okay. because it is, it's people in the profession and they're talking to the general public, but they're also talking to each other. Mm -hmm. It's very, very raw in a lot of cases. And it's helped me to develop a different level of empathy for physicians. So the article on Kevin MD that I was directed to is by Charity Williams. And it says 10 things a doctor's spouse wants you to know. Hmm. And she touches on a lot of the stuff that we just talked about, talks about debt. Everyone talked about debt, that they get out of school, they haven't slept in a very long time, and they are way over their heads yeah. for a long time. And I've noticed that people tend to think of physician family members as personal banks. Yeah. So that, that kind of struck me from a personal experience mm -hmm. where I'd watch something go down. She talks about gallows humor mm. and coping mechanisms. You know, it comes down to we really do care about the patients. When you say gallows humor, you mean kind of laughing at the stuff that 
on the surface it's to someone terrible. else might not be that fun, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, it's a coping mechanism. It's not about being insensitive, but they have all kinds of emotional reactions to what's happening around them mm-hmm. because they go through it so frequently. A lot of times within staff, they have kind of their sure. own way to let off steam you don't about laugh, it. You're going to cry, right? Right. And, and so they, you know, they do both. They mourn, but they also joke at the nurse's station about mm-hmm. stuff that most of us would find gross. Right. Right. So that didn't surprise me so much as um, just make a mental note not to be agitated by something like this yeah, because right. they have a lot to cope with on their end as well. You know, I heard that you need to take some responsibility for your own health, mm-hmm. which. A lot of people don't. In fact, I have an acquaintance who became a dentist after being a nurse practitioner because he said he was sick of nine out of 10 people never doing anything he told them and just coming back and coming back and coming Mm. back and coming back. And he said, I felt like I was getting nowhere with anyone. And I knew in dentistry I could help. (laughs) Like it was it was so frustrating. That's telling. (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine making such a huge shift. One thing that you shared with me outside of that article um, I believe it was outside that article, but you came across some information or someone shared information with you about doctors having the highest suicide rates of any profession. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I checked this out because yeah. a couple people brought it up. Um, I was directed to some articles and I checked this out and it does seem to be the case. Uh, physicians take their own lives um, and are victims of suicide at about twice the rate of the general population in the Western world. I mean, I was shocked when I saw that and I bet a lot of our uh, listeners would be surprised by that stat as well. To me, that that's incredible. You, would, I mean, I think a lot of people still have this perception that doctors have these great lives and that you know they just print their own money and you know they just have this incredible lifestyle. Obviously, you know, when your job is to try and make everybody better and you're not able to make mistakes and some of these other things we heard, I guess it does kind of go hand in hand that there might be a lot of depression and mm-hmm. um, stress as it relates to that job. If doctors are having these issues and are committing suicide, gosh, like what, what about mm-hmm. us people that are mere mortals, you know? <laughs> I mean, Well, that, and here's the thing though, they are mortals. And I right. think that's what that we lose point. track of is this person has gone through very intense schooling. I mean, you've been through intense schooling, in very intense schooling. Intense. <laughs> One of my friends who's a, a medical spouse, I think is the term that they use in their community, uh, who's a medical spouse said that she feels like she watched her husband unlearn how to drive during clinicals Mm. because he was so incredibly focused. It was like he replaced a bunch of information in his brain with medical information. I had another one who he is now a type one diabetic because he got sick during tests in medical school, in medical school Mm. and didn't get treated. Wow. It's intense and they are humans though, they're us. They're us who have put themselves through that ringer. And you just just caught me on it and good on you because I was like, you know, mere mortals, et cetera. And you're like, well, they're mortal too. They're still human beings. And right. I, think, I think sometimes we forget about that. Yeah. And you know, that ties in well with the, the therapy discussion that we had earlier, you mm-hmm. know, um, hopefully medical doctors are able to make time to seek out a therapist. And mm-hmm. ha- I mean, they, you have to, right? Even therapists have their own therapists because right. <laughs> they, they, they just pass around everybody else's stories amongst each right. other uh, right. to try and deal with it all. So I think that, you know, not to, leave it on a on a down note but that there is some connection there and, and as a doctor you know they definitely want us to understand that they're mortal like you said it's an incredibly stressful job they don't have you know the, the world 
by the tail, so to speak. They're just like us, and they genuinely enjoy that one-on-one time with their patients where they're getting to learn about what their patient needs and trying to solve that. But the way the current you know healthcare system is, they have only a couple minutes with each patient, yeah. and they have to get on to the next yeah. one. They have to get on the next one. The, so The shortest message I got from a physician just said, we try, it's hard, the whole system's broken, and it's not my damn fault. <laughs> like, just, yeah. it sounds exasperated. You know, right. just, I'm exhausted here. Yeah, the level of frustration mm-hmm. seems to be high. So as everyone gets sick over the winter, uh, hopefully you took some ownership and got your flu shot. But if you still get sick, I guess keep it in mind that there's a lot of things that doctors are dealing with. And not everything is within their control. So keep that in mind when you're out there talking with folks. Be kind. Yeah. Do what they tell you. That gets us to a pretty nice wrap up on this episode. If you are interested in any of these topics, if you want to engage more and and maybe even be featured on an upcoming episode, you can reach out to us on social media. You can hit us on our Twitter page, which is at Katie and me pod. And that's K-A-T-Y-A-N-D-M-E-P-O-D. Or Instagram, Katie and me podcast. Or you can email Katie or myself at chris at katieandme.com or katie at katieandme.com. Thanks so much today, Katie. I really appreciated all the topics that we discussed. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks, everybody.